Hey, everybody, you've joined the Steel City Blitz podcast sponsored by 26shirts.com slash Pittsburgh, where they are still selling the Mr. Murray's Neighborhood t-shirt, where uh, every purchase, benefits, $8 from every purchase, excuse me, benefits the Greater Pittsburgh uh, Community Food Bank, which is uh, you know a, a nice, nice, worthy charity. And the shirt's pretty cool. I think you'll like the design, so you should go check that out. Uh, joining me tonight, this is Ben, by the way. Joining me tonight uh, is Ian, also known as doing? At the Steelers and At. Uh, we're going to discuss, uh, among other things, uh, the, the latest in the drama amongst the Steelers, which <laughs> I'll be frank, it's embarrassing, man. It's it's embarrassing to be a Steelers fan right now. And, and people who aren't Steelers fan, I, li- I live on the West Coast. People who live aren't Steelers fans that clown me, I'm just like, yeah, you're right. It's it's bad. I, I I'm yeah. Uh, I hope that they manage to resolve all these things this year. But the last couple have been awful, and it seems like every day there's something new. I just I don't know what they're putting in the water over on the south side of the PNC facility, but wow. So Ian. I don't know if you're aware of this, but uh, Antonio Brown is is speaking out again on social media in uh, putting out some cryptic messages. I had heard that. I think you kind of have to be living under a rock to have missed it at this point. Yeah, if you uh, haven't been on Twitter or Facebook in the last couple of days, uh, AB went after Emmanuel Sanders, told him that he went to LA and missed rehab to talk trash about him, about AB when he didn't know about anything that was going on and call Bruce Arians a clown for uh, calling AB a diva, which I'll be frank. I agree with Arians and I'm no Arians fan, but uh, AB's behavior has become more and more puzzling over the past several weeks. And uh, I mean, all year it's been pretty bizarre but uh yeah really dating back to dating back to was that otas when he gave that really like cryptic kind of eight minute long interview with the beat reporters where he kind of just rambled on about how how hard it is to be him and all that right it's it's been a really weird year for antonio brown yeah yeah and then you know carrying through showing up at camp in a helicopter and then calling a sports writer a racist for saying he saw him limping, telling another sports writer that uh, he was going to punch him in the jaw the next time he saw him. Uh, it's just been bizarre. I mean, it's it's getting to the point where, uh, I'll just say it, I have concerns about what's going on with Antonio Brown. If, if there are things going on in his personal life or maybe with him from a health standpoint, I don't know. I'm I'm spitballing here i really don't have any any knowledge i i agree with you that you know you you do think both about antonio brown as the player and antonio brown as the person and it seems like you know there's something going on with antonio brown the person that's starting to you know bleed over into that's affecting his ability to play on the field i'm not saying his his talent is any different, but you know, when you're not, when you're not showing up for practice, when you're not returning phone calls, um, that, and your coach benches you, then that does impact your ability to be on the field, obviously. So I, I, I do think there is some cause for concern and just to say, you know, Hey, I, I, 
I hope he's okay mentally. You know, we've we've talked before on this podcast about you know everyone everyone talks heavily about oh you know mental health is a big thing. We want people to to get help for it. A lot of this happened when we talked about Martavis Bryant last year that, you know, people say, oh, people should get help for mental health things. But then, you know, when someone's actually potentially struggling, then, you know, everyone starts to be like, oh, he's a bad teammate. Well, maybe there's something else going on here and that doesn't absolve Antonio from not picking up his phone when people call. But, you know, I, I hope he's OK. Yeah, no, I, I agree with you 100 percent. And I I hope if there is something going on in his life that it's not so serious that it can't be overcome. And I'm just going to leave it at that because, you know, we have no idea what that might be. And, and to go further with it would be complete speculation. So let's not do that. No, but yeah, you know, I hope, I hope that, that things are going to work out. Okay. For AB. I mean, regardless of what happens, whether he comes back next year or not, the man contributed too much as a Pittsburgh Steeler for me just to turn my back on him and say, yeah, I don't like that guy anymore. I, you know, I'm still, I'm still going to hope good things for him. I'm still going to, you know, hope that his life turns out well and that, that he continues to perform at a high level. And I know that there are a number of people that will disagree with that and that's fine. That's your prerogative. But I, you know, I, I think, just like with James Harrison, who I I called, I, I basically said I compared him last week to a, a was it last week or two weeks ago to a a jilted, angry, bitter ex girlfriend, which is the way he's acting toward the Steelers right now, in my opinion. But James has done too much as a Steeler, contributed too much for me just to say, yeah, screw that guy. You know what I mean? Oh, you're you're absolutely right. I mean, James Harrison has one of probably the top two plays in Super Bowl history. Um, and only because he was one up by Santonio Holmes. And I have a feeling we'll be talking about him more later. Um, but also, you know, back to back to your point on Antonio Brown, it it is a shame that this is all happening right now. I mean, he was looking at, you know, potentially being able to go into next season and break Heinz Ward's franchise records for both receiving yards and touchdowns. He's only 876 yards away from Heinz Ward's record for yardage, and he's only 11 touchdowns shy of Heinz Ward's 85 career touchdowns. So, you know, he's right there on the cusp of solidifying his spot as the greatest Steelers receiver of all time from a product on field production standpoint. Um, and and it's a shame if this is the way it ends. Um, I'll say I was a little encouraged um, hearing Art Rooney's interview this week that he was sort of leaving the door open and leaving that olive branch out there that, hey, you know, we're still willing to talk to Antonio. We haven't shut the door for him. You know, we're, we're willing to, to try and work things out and, and have him back if we can. Um, and, and, you know, Art takes a very measured approach to everything right much in the way that the Roonies as a family always have you know the Roonies are not reactionary people um you know which is going to lead has has led recently a lot of people to you know start to criticize them because as we know social media twitter facebook whatever comments on our website or others are very reactionary everybody wants things fixed right now i mean 
you know, I, I follow a couple like Kansas City Chiefs fans that have been complaining about how their team is playing and they had the number one seed in the AFC this year. So, um, you know, I, there was, there was some chatter on Rams Twitter this year, which if you can believe Rams Twitter is a thing, it, it actually is a thing. Um, you know, with, with criticisms of, of the boy wonder Sean McVay after they lost a couple of games. So it's, it's just, part and parcel of the nfl that people are going to overreact to things and want everybody fired and think no one is good enough really unless you're brady and belichick everyone else is more or less in the same boat i mean i know we've talked about this a little bit and i have some article ideas for after the season too but you know if you take the patriots out of the equation you know the steelers and tomlin and ben are right there in that second tier of teams with you know the saints the seahawks the uh you know the the giants that have seen success over the last you know 10 to 15 years um the packers i'll throw in there although the packers with aaron Rodgers have only made one super bowl um you know peyton manning only made two super bowls with the colts and only made two with the broncos so it's it's not like you know what the steelers have done over the last decade or so or you know over the last 15 years is a is a complete aberration in the league other than the patriots really not a lot of other teams have seen prolonged success like like we have and you know not even that many have have made multiple super bowls or and only a handful have made two so it's um you know it's it's not a given that we make the super bowl every year despite how things look on paper well i i don't think i've talked about this over and over again i don't think that the steelers are as good as we allowed ourselves to believe that they were even when they had Ryan Shazier in place, they had holes on defense. Uh, the offense was obviously stacked last season, but the defense absolutely was not. And then when Shazier went down, it the, the defense was a huge liability and, you know, it was better this year in my opinion, but, but there are still, there are still big holes that for the most part, Keith Butler, I, I think he's managed to hide pretty well. And, um, you know, I, I'm not a huge fan of his work, but given the fact that he had a hole at outside linebacker, inside linebacker, corner, the guys that are there should be backups. Bud Dupree should be a backup. John Bostick slash uh, LJ Fort should be a backup. Cody Sensabaugh should be a backup. Um, and these guys are starting games for them and allowing – a lot of big plays and they still have the quote unquote communication issues in the defensive backfield, which is an issue. And Art talked about that since you, you brought that up. Yeah. Although actually it's, it did seem like, you know, over the, over the second half of the season, they did somewhat limit big plays. Um, You know, I guess there was the, the one long touchdown against the, that the Patriots had, but they, it seemed like after Artie Burns went out, some of the, communication issues seem to go away and they started yeah. to, to play a little better back there. We, I mean, they still agree. gave up yards and they still gave up touchdowns, um, but they, they weren't like sieving big plays like they did against uh, Kansas city early in the season. No, I, I, I hear what you're saying, but you know, they also gave up a third and 20 on a, a, oh, they, yeah, yeah. a bunch of against simple vertical routes yeah. versus new Orleans that they shouldn't have given up. Um, it, it wasn't so much the long plays. 
Last year, they gave up 14 receptions of 40 yards or longer, which led the NFL. This year, it was less than half of that. So that's great. They they solved one of their big problems. But the problem they had this year was getting off the field. They yes. couldn't get off the field. They couldn't stop anyone in the fourth quarter. That was the uh, that several, was the bigger issue. Yeah, that was the bigger issue. They they couldn't stop anybody late in the game, and teams like Oakland and Denver, you know, Denver Case Keenum shouldn't even be a starter in the NFL, and he had no problems with the Steelers defense, none whatsoever. Joe Flacco in that first Steelers game, the first, uh, what was that week four? Yeah, he had no problems whatsoever with the Steelers defense. It was things along those lines, and there were several games, Oakland, Denver, uh, New Orleans, San Diego, uh, or San Diego. Chargers, sorry, Los Angeles. Yeah, you know, I mean, Los Angeles is a quality team, quality, quality offense. I'm not I, I'm not as upset about that one, although, you know, that was the game where um, Morgan Burnett was out and Cam Sutton had personal issues. And so he missed the game. And so their options in the slot were Mike Hilton on one side if they had four wides, Mike Wil- Mike Hilton on one side, and a linebacker on the other, or Marcus Allen. Now, Marcus Allen can't cover anyone. I don't know that he could, he could cover me, to be perfectly frank. And I'm, you know, <laughs> I haven't yeah. played football competitively in years. I mean, um, they could have tried like uh, I'm. I, they I they could have tried that. Jordan Dangerfield at free and brought um, Sean Davis down into the slot, which we, is what we talked did about a the Bengals in the last game. Yeah, yeah I mean, about... or they could have put like Artie Burns or Brian Allen back on the outside, right? Sensabot of the slot, but right, whatever. That's that's long in the past. No, I think your point though about the the inability to finish games. I wrote an article about it earlier this year, and the final tally was we finished. 26th in the league in fourth quarter scoring margin at a minus 32 points, which is, if you can believe this, 73 points different than last year. In in 2017, we were plus 41 in the fourth quarter. And then in 2018, we were minus 32 in the fourth quarter. I mean, that's 73 points different over a one-year span in the fourth quarter. And the crazy thing is, like, through three quarters this season, we had a plus 100 scoring margin, which is right up there with like Kansas City and the Saints and some of the best teams in the league. And then to have a minus 32 in just the fourth quarter is just, I mean, that's why we blew four fourth quarter leads this year. Because we, like you said, we couldn't stop people in the fourth quarter. Yeah, that problem there was twofold, though. The, the defense was bad. In my opinion, they were really bad in the fourth quarter most of the season. But the offense faltered in in several games and and didn't really do much in the fourth quarter either. So, you know, that's where a lot of people will come back and say, no, it's the offense, no, it's the defense. It's everything, guys. you got to win and lose as a team. And, yeah, I get where people are coming back from the standpoint that the offense has more talent. The offense is more talented. We should have been able to lead on, lean on the offense. Okay. But, you know, it was everything. It was coaching. It was the offense. It was the defense. It was the special teams. It was the lack of talent. Uh, they just, they won and they lost as a team. Special teams were terrible, atrocious this year, in my opinion. Oh, absolutely. Uh, yeah. I, I just... I have no idea how Danny Smith still has a job, but he does. Uh, so getting 
I uh, appreciate you bringing up AB and Art Rooney's comments regarding trying to leave it out there. We've made no decision. We're not going to do anything yet. We want to allow him the opportunity to come back and talk to his talk to us if he wants to do so. Uh, doesn't really sound based upon what we've seen and heard from AB of late that he does want to do so, but at least Art's putting it out there. At least he wants he wants AB to know that he's welcome to call and he'd like to talk to him. So, yeah. Um, one of the things that uh, Art Rooney talked about was something we've talked about for years internally, and that is hiring, not necessarily hiring a coach, but designating a coach to specifically help Tomlin on challenges and game management, game clock management. Uh, he said it would have to be somebody who, who was already on the staff. I don't know exactly how that would work out, but you promptly tweeted out that you would do it for free. <laughs> uh, yeah. I think I've tweeted something like that in the past too, when I've been frustrated with their, their game management, but yeah, I mean, and really, you know, clock management shouldn't be that hard. I, anyone who, and the thing that blows my mind about it is Tomlin has two teenage sons. Like if he plays Madden with them, you figure out when you call timeouts. <laughs> it's, it's basic math. You know, there's 40 seconds on a play clock and you got to know, you know, how fast, how, either how long the other team's going to be able to hold the ball or how fast you can get another snap off. So, um, and, and that's the other thing too, that rarely gets talked about is just how slow the Steelers are when they're in their hurry up offense. You watch other teams. Um, I think, I think it was New Orleans. I was watching one of their games, and they had like twenty seconds before the two minute warning, and they got two plays off. They threw a pass for like nine yards, and with the clock running, were able to get up to the line and snap the ball again before the two minute warning, and basically run two plays in the span of like twenty five seconds. And it feels like it takes the Steelers, you know. 20 to 25 seconds just to get up to the line and get set before they can even snap the ball, even when they're in their hurry up offense. So, I mean, that's a factor too, but yes, I mean, it's absolutely a good idea from the way arts comments sounded. It sounded to me like they didn't want to fund another coaching position or staff. I don't know position. if it was so much that, or if it's just, he, he sees it as a, as it having to be a guy that Mike Tomlin trusts that Mike that's Tomlin has faith that. in. Yeah. Okay, so he's not going to bring somebody in from the outside as a consultant. Somebody new. It'd have to be somebody that that Tomlin already has a relationship with and and trusts and that he can talk to about game situations in advance and tell him to advise him based upon his. The way the guy already knows he thinks. Right. The way I took it. Yeah. You know. We're both speculating. I I just hope that something does happen along those lines. I think that Mike – I don't really have a huge problem with the the challenge losses. He hasn't won a challenge in over a year. I don't know that people realize this, but of all challenges, all challenge flags thrown in the NFL this year, less than 38% were reversed. And that it, seems to be a historically it's usually around forty percent, I think. So yeah, that's forty to forty-five percent. So it's it's not common to win a lot. Yeah, it, it seems to be a byproduct though of of the challenge process being centralized back in New York and Al Riveron kind of standing behind. 
those calls on the field, even though he's going through that review process. I mean, last weekend, uh, oh God, what is TJ Watt's brother's name? Derek Watt? Derek Watt. We saw him roll into the end zone untouched. Saw it. The whole nation saw it. They ruled it down at the one. And then they spotted the ball inside the two. I was like, wait a minute. If that guy was down, he was down like three inches from the goal line. I don't think he was down. But if yeah. he was, it was it was that close. And you spotted the ball all the way back near the two? Are you kidding me? It was ridiculous. It was It's things along those lines where it seems like Riveron's going out of his way to back his officials on the field, which I find frustrating. I think that he needs to call it the way it is and explain the plays where there are controversial calls, but get the call right. And instead, he's doing this thing where, like I said, I think he's going out of his way to, to back up his officials. Anyway, we're getting, getting off track here. Uh, no, I, I, agree, I agree with everything you just said, though. You're, you're right that he's sticking up for his guys on the field. Um, but the, I was also thinking that, you know, I know the other local teams, Penguins, Pirates, and the rules may be different, but, like, the Penguins have a guy that literally stands in the hallway behind the bench and just watches replays on an iPad. And if he thinks something should be challenged, he tells Mike Sullivan, the head coach, hey, like you should challenge this. It was, you know, it was close to being offsides or something. And actually that helped the Penguins win a playoff game a few years ago. It was a game six in Tampa Bay in the Eastern Conference Finals. Tampa scored a goal and, you know, the guy in the hallway was like, hey, I think they might have been offsides. Sullivan challenged it. The goal got taken away. We wound up winning the game two to one and then went on to win the Stanley Cup that year. So, um, you know, it's uh, it's I don't know what the NFL's rules are about being able to watch feeds of the game. I know you can't from the sideline, but I don't know about in the coaching booth upstairs. In the booth, or... in the booth you can watch the network feed. Yeah. And... So, so at least if you had someone doing that, you know, they're going to show replays on TV. Right. And if they think it's a close call, they're going to show more replays of it. Um, you know, in the stadium, they're really bad about showing replays on the Jumbotron. So if Tomlin's relying on that for you know, his source of what to challenge. Although he's also said in the past that he makes some decisions based on his gut feeling with like clock management and challenges. So I think we've, we've shown that that's not, uh, you know, that's not a, a good way to, to go about coaching. Yeah, I, I, I agree with you, but I, you know, there are certain times when Tomlin throws the flag and I'm like, okay, it's the second half. He's got two challenges. He's like, I'm going to put this out there. And, Basically, I'm going to hope I'm going to win. And if I don't, that's okay. I'm not going to worry about it. But if I do, great. You know, it's my first challenge. The only thing that, that's bad about that is you end up losing a timeout. Yeah. And that that's my gripe with his approach to it. Um, yeah. On the one hand, I get it. Yeah, you're putting it out there. But if you're not sure, why burn the timeout? Right. You know? So that's me. Uh, Ian, we, we were talking earlier on today about the constant Steelers drama and you brought up a, a history of drama with the Steelers going back really as recently as 2005 and moving forward up to these, you know, these current days. I think 
for most fans, they're not really thinking about that. Well, one, because nostalgia is some tasty Kool-Aid and the Steelers were winning more then, so we were more tolerant of it. And two, because the Steelers are not winning right now, they're sitting at home on their couch instead of being in the playoffs. But why don't you remind everybody of, of what took place? Yeah, and, and it kind of started actually because I think you shared a, a post that had been, I think, on Instagram where you know someone did sort of that 10-year throwback thing <laughs> where they were like, you know <laughs> – the 10 years ago picture was Santonio Holmes and Ben Roethlisberger holding the Super Bowl trophy. And now it's like a picture of a couch, which I get it. You know, that, um, you know, 10 years ago we won the Super Bowl this year. We didn't make the playoffs. Um, but you know, let's, let's call a spade a spade here that the two people in that picture from 10 years ago, let's just start with them. Santonio Holmes was drafted in 2006 he was arrested twice between the draft and when training camp started um you know in 2008 the year they won the super bowl he was arrested for marijuana possession and suspended for a game uh in 2010 he was uh charged with assault at a nightclub in orlando and he was traded shortly thereafter ben roethlisberger the other guy in the picture you know about two years before that picture or three years before the picture was taken was in a motorcycle accident not wearing a helmet um you know uh, before uh, shortly after that picture was taken february 2009 but um he was the subject of a lawsuit for a sexual assault allegation for in a golf event that happened in lake tahoe in 2008 before the the football season then a year later there was the milledgeville georgia situation where he was charged with sexual assault again so it's not like you know just the two guys in that picture it's not like they're pristine characters in steelers history that have been completely drama free um i think we should point out real quickly that ben was not charged in either one of those incidents but he was he was investigated for Milledgeville anyway. That is correct. And, and um right. That is that is correct. And he was suspended four games for it too. Right. Um it was originally six appealed down to four, but nevertheless, you know, he did he was suspended for four games in the twenty ten season. So, you know, you and he gave that interview over the summer with that slick back hair. I mean, you can't say Ben Roethlisberger has yeah. been completely drama free during his entire Steelers career. No. Um, you know, looking at that 2008 team, um, you know, aside from the two guys that made arguably the greatest play in Super Bowl history, Ben and Santonio in that picture, you have James Harrison who made arguably the second greatest play in Super Bowl history with the interception return for a touchdown. He was arrested in 2008 uh, before the season started um, for a domestic dispute issue. Um, His pit bull bit, one of his kids in 2009 then 2010 slash 11 there was the whole thing with you know he was fined multiple times by the league suspended for a game for blows to the head then there was the article in men's journal i think it was where he was on yeah. the cover holding the two guns and oh, that's bad yeah yeah so and, and now talking about his teammates and, and standing on the on the, standing there in, in the cover of of men's journal with the guns that that yeah, yeah that was yeah. And, you know, he, he refused to go to the White House after after they won the Super Bowl in 2008. So it's not like James Harrison, you know, who's now going out there beating the beating the, you know, on the on the beat of 
all the talk shows talking about Antonio Brown. It's not like he had some pristine drama free career either. Heck, he slept through meetings last year, which is why the why the Steelers finally cut him because he was sitting there in team meetings sleeping in a chair. So it's not like he was the the greatest teammate in the world either. And, you know, I think you're right. I think we do tend to whitewash the past. I mean, I was just looking back at, like you said, 2005 to present. Um, Heinz Ward held out a training camp for two weeks in 2005, DUI arrest in 2011. And everybody loves Heinz Ward now. It, People completely forget about that stuff. Um, Cedric Wilson, wide receiver, won a Super Bowl in 2005, was charged with assault of an ex-girlfriend in 2008 and promptly cut from the team, which actually, looking back on it, I think that opened up the spot for Nate Washington to be able to make the team in 2008. He had some big catches for them that year. But nevertheless, you know, that was still like that. That happened the essentially the off season before the year they won the Super Bowl that you had uh, you know James Harrison get arrested Cedric Wilson get arrested um, it's not and then that team went on to win the Super Bowl so it's uh, it's not like this recent stuff with Le'Veon Bell and Antonio Brown is something completely uncharacteristic for the Steelers heck I mean it's been four years since we had the Le'Veon Bell and Garrett Blunt get pulled over for um, you know, smoking pot in the car. Um, Chris Rainey was arrested for domestic violence. Alameda Tom, who backup defensive lineman, played pinball or bumper cars on the south side one night after getting a DUI. Uh, Jeff Reed with the, <laughs> I mean, I mean, just saying Jeff Reed's Jeez. name. <laughs> the, the sheets thing. There was numerous, you know, public drunkenness <laughs> things. I think Jeff Reed and Matt Spath got arrested one time for public urination because they no. were drinking together. Spath was getting a ticket, and Reed got out of the car and started yelling at the cops. You know, <laughs> giving him the "Don't you know who that is?" speech. You can't give him a ticket. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. Uh, oh man. <laughs> um, that is funny. Yeah, I, I mean, just I I agree. Overall, the point is this, and and nostalgia is a wonderful, tasty drink that goes down smooth and makes you forget about all the bad stuff. And yeah, and the, can I add one more thing here, please. real quick? And it's. I, I also want to make sure that people realize that this isn't just a Mike Tomlin has no control over his players thing. I mean, a lot of this stuff happened before Tomlin was coach too. When when Bill Cowher was coach, heck, you had, Plexico Burris got arrested multiple times or cited for public drunkenness, or um, there was an open container thing. I think Marvell Smith got arrested for marijuana possession. Jason yeah. Gildon got arrested for trespassing. Uh, the uh, Joey Porter's pit bulls got loose and like bit a neighbor or something like that. Uh, They killed a neighbor's dog. Oh, that's right. That's right. That's right. Uh, Bam Morris got arrested for felony drug possession. Um, And that's, I mean, that's going back to the mid nineties. So it's not like the Steelers have some pristine history either that, you know, you can't say, Oh, it's just because of Mike Tomlin's, you know, how he, operates his locker room and no it's none it, of it, them none of them can touch ernie holmes shooting a cop you're absolutely shooting oh, yeah. a cop absolutely through the right. foot he shot a cop through the foot and he was at camp in july yes. nobody touches that and i don't you're think right. anybody ever will thankfully i hope not <laughs> my goodness yeah i hope not but yeah you're right you're right man. and i, I mean, don't 
I don't think it's just the Steelers thing too. I mean, you can pretty much look across any team in the league and probably come up with a similar, a similar history of quote unquote drama. I think the big factor is right now that social media just amplifies everything. Cause yeah. before when you might hear a story on the news and people would, you know, scream their opinions in their living room or at their dining table, you know, couple people in their family would hear them or people at the bar would hear them but now anyone with a phone or a computer can go on twitter or facebook or instagram or whatever and start commenting on these things and have direct access to these players too that you know and we're you know it's i'd say 99 percent sure that antonio brown's out there reading his mentions on twitter which i don't think is a great idea no. But nevertheless, you know, no. they're, AB, they're if you're listening to this, AB, if you're listening to this, you need to kill all your social media accounts, man. It's it's poisoning your mind. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Two step process for fixing the Steelers is to delete all AB social media accounts and get rid of Ben Roethlisberger's uh, radio show. Um, <laughs> okay. <laughs> well, since was... uh, we're running, we're running low on time, and I I really want to cover this, and that was a nice segue. Uh, let's talk about next year let's talk about what needs to improve from a a roster standpoint and and let's assume that antonio brown is is going to be gone because it looks like that's going to be the case um at least today i'm uh hopefully he won't be hopefully i'm wrong but uh it doesn't look good and and i further i agree that it doesn't look good but i think also you know I know Art Rooney said that the salary cap's not going to play into their consideration over what they do with Antonio Brown, and that's fair. But I don't think people realize that basically, you know, you're looking at $20 million dead out of a possible $190 million salary cap. It's 10% of your cap is basically a, a quarterback's value worth. Yeah. Is going to Antonio Brown not playing for you next year? Hey, and I'm I'm sure and, if Kevin Colbert got his way, um, they would find some way to reduce that hit or spread it out somehow. But I don't think that Art is going to operate that way based upon his comments and based upon the Rooney family history. I think he's just going to go, eh, you know, I, whatever. I don't think they really. <laughs> Here's the the difficult part of it is is that. Antonio Brown is due a two and a half million dollar roster bonus right. about two months from now in March. So March 17th. Yeah, exactly. Two months from today. Um, but the thing is, if if you traded him after June 1st, you'd have to pay him the roster bonus, but then you could spread the cap hit out over two years. It'd be like cutting him right after after June 1st. But then right. you have to pay him the roster bonus, and that's 2.5 million in sunk costs essentially and that's, it's that's not actually just cash out the door it's not it's just not that just... you you hope that you're going to get either draft currency trading him that you can use this year or a player trading him yes. that you can use this year in june that opportunity at least as it applies to 2019 is probably gone yes uh, and, maybe you get a player we... but i yeah, i don't know you any draft currency you're going you're gonna to get is, is for 2020. Right. And we've talked about this before with other players too, with Le'Veon Bell trades, with Martavis Bryant, that if he plays for you, Antonio Brown is a player that can help you win in 2019. If you don't get a player or 2019 draft picks back for him in return, then 
you're weakening your squad on the football field for 2019 and essentially putting yourself further away from being able to win a Super Bowl than closer to it. Um, right. But my, my point of so that real, whole real quickly, segment, though, let's, yeah, go, ahead. go ahead. Go ahead. Oh, I was, I was going to say my point of that whole segue was, you know, if they trade Antonio Brown, have 20 million debt against the cap, they'll essentially quote unquote save $1 million against versus what his cap hit would be this year. However, right. $1 million is essentially either a veteran minimum player or a, a second round draft pick is their starting salary. If you get a first round draft pick for him, you're, you're going to, the dead money plus your new guy's salary that fills that spot on the roster is going to be more than what Antonio would have cost you. So it's, you know, saying, what do we need to do to fix this team? If you're talking about free agency, if you're talking about the draft, you know, I, I kind of think you have to answer the Antonio Brown question first, because whether or not he's on the team, then somewhat dictates how much available money you have to spend in free agency. And they will have a little more this year, but they're also looking at doing extensions for Ben and Pouncey. And those numbers could go up a little bit, although they're both on long-term deals. It's not like they're, they are rookies, you know, getting, getting bigger deals. They, their cap numbers should be about the same, I would think. Right. But, but still there are some, some guys they're going to have to spend money on. We've talked a lot about, they have what, 37, 39 players under contract for next year. It's, it's not that many. They have to sign more. They guys have 40 right to now today, but okay. uh, they signed, they've re-signed a few exclusive rights, free agents. Yeah. Recently. I, I want to cover something real quickly before, before we get done. And basically let's just say AB is gone. Let's assume that. And we have a huge hole at wide receiver. We need another running back, in my opinion. Yes, um, absolutely. I mean, Jalen Samuels, uh, sorry, the guy can't block to save his life. Um, I don't think he's that good between the tackles. He's not. He's uh, like Noel de Moore 2.0 yeah. that can't really block yet. Yeah, but he catches the ball really well, and, and he yeah. can get better, and that's great, but he's not a feature back. No, he's not. Uh, so you want to get another one and basically upgrade Stephen Ridley. Um, and then you got another guy who can come in behind James Conner and be that every down horse if he needs to be because they've had so many problems over the years with losing a running back late and it costing them big late in the season. I think it did again this year. They've uh, also yeah, got holes right. on defense. We talked about this earlier. An outside linebacker, inside linebacker, cornerback, third safety, uh, Morgan Burnett's not reliable. In my opinion, they need to do something there and have a guy who's actually going to be out on the field and available for every game. And then they're going to need some defensive line depth as well. That's before we even start talking about the fact that they need more corners and they need more outside linebackers because the depth there isn't all that great. And the Artie Burns thing, you know, I don't know what's going to happen with Artie, but I, I don't think he's going to be in their long-term plans. And that's a shame because just burned a, fir- a third uh, first round pick, excuse me on him, but three years ago. Yeah. So that they could have traded out of, but we won't go into that. Yeah. Yeah. So what do you do? Do you, uh, it's, it's probably a combination of drafting players and signing players. Yes. Where do you get your most bang for your buck in free agency? 
the well the most bang for your buck in free agency is players that get cut by other teams and that's simply because they don't factor into the comp pick formula and the Steelers have been one of the best teams out there along with the Ravens as much as I hate to admit it it's sort of working the comp pick formula so that you know they're they're losing guys in free agency they're not signing street or they're not signing unrestricted free agents to you know massive contracts that then diminish their value in the compensatory pick formulas they've been able to to get some extra draft picks that way um because of the guys they've lost in free agency so the the most bang for your buck is like joe hayden was a street free agent that just Uh got cut by his team and and wasn't an unrestricted free agent um and could still play so you know, we can look at all the lists we want of current unrestricted free agents, but there's also going to be a handful of street free agents that we have no idea are going to get cut. The teams just let go. Um, and, and we're seeing it now, too. I mean, Indomitian Sue was a was a street free agent that got cut that's playing really well for the Rams. Um, and, and there's some other guys that have been significant contributors on, you know, some of the, the final four teams right now that were that were street free agents or even under unrestricted free agents. Um, there's a, a pretty good amount of pass rushers that are going to be, or should be available this year. Some may get re-signed. Um, but like, look at the Denver Broncos right now. I mean, they've got, they've got four or five pass rushers and they've just got a stacked room there that, that aren't going to be able to see the field. I mean, they get spent a first round pick this year on Bradley Chubb. They've got Vaughn Miller. Um, the guy I really like there is Shaq Barrett, who's just been buried on the depth chart for years. And they spent a first round pick on Shane Ray the same year we took Bud Dupree. So a couple of those guys are, Lost. are, yeah, oh, Shane Ray's been a bust. Absolutely, I, I want to know part of Shane Ray. I mean, there was a lot of you know kind of bad talk about him coming out of Missouri that year, but that's a that's a loaded room, and I mean they're probably going to keep Von Miller, and they're definitely keeping Bradley Chubb. So both Barrett and Ray are free agents this year, so I have a hard time seeing both of them go back to Denver, where they're probably not going to see the field a whole lot. And there's some other guys too. Um, you know, you can never have enough cornerbacks. You can always sign more corners. Yep, I agree. And with that, I'm sorry. We're going to have to cut it short because uh, or cut it off. This is a good conversation, though, and I'm looking forward to another one because. Uh, <laughs> yeah, we'll, we'll pick it. We'll pick this up a lot more as we get closer to the draft, too. Absolutely. And for uh, for me, this is Ben and Ian. Thanks. Have a good night. And hey, go Steelers. <laughs>